getting one product right and, and whether you can do that by design or by chance, I would say is really, really helpful. And I would recommend anyone, you know, particularly in my space, but any other space as well, like I think you need to have one product that's compelling and you kind of need to earn the right to start making the next products. And I think that that one product can also, you know, using that as a lead in for your marketing efforts, I think has proven helpful for us. And I would recommend it to anyone else looking to do something similar. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast. So this time we have my friend David Wolf. He is the founder of Oliver's. The awesome, super duper, subtle, elegant apparel brand that you may well have heard of. Coming from California, and we're going to get into that. This is a um, really, really raw, authentic brand that I stumbled across and absolutely loved and could not uh, wait to reach out to Oliver and find a convenient time for us to speak, which happens to be quite late here in the UK. And I am sweating balls because I've shut the windows and <laughs> it is a hot day, but we're gonna get past that. Those of you on the video can enjoy it. So a little bit about um, Oliver's. Oliver's is an eight figure uh, apparel brand. Uh, it's super duper cool. It's been featured all over the place from GQ, LA Times, Outside Magazine, and many more. And started six years ago from a Kickstarter campaign which was at the time one of the five top performing Kickstarter campaigns in the apparel space. That's a mouthful, but it's an impressive mouthful. So you can tell, you can tell from my voice, I'm hyped, I'm excited to welcome David to the show today. David, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well, Martin. Thanks for having me here. You're very welcome. Um, whereabouts in the world are you, David? So we are in uh, Los Angeles, California, um, right in downtown LA. Yeah, is there is there a, yeah. a name of the of the area of of LA that you're in? Yeah, so we're actually in the apparel in the apparel district. So for those that are familiar with LA and as a, as a garment uh, headquarter, um, we are right. Our offices are right in the apparel district. Actually, our building is aptly named the Apparel Mart building. So there's a number of buildings in the in the area, but we're uh, kind of right in the in the heart of the um, the LA apparel industry, which is a fun place to be. I, I think so. And I think in terms of nailing where to work from, I think you've, you've got that pretty lo on lock there. So, mm. David, the way we typically kick off these, these um, shows is that we go back to a point in, in the, the guest's history, which was really important for their journey. Sometimes it's a point of conflict. Sometimes it's just a logical starting point on their hero's journey. But if you've got a time and place in mind, perhaps you can take this back to them and, and paint us a word picture. Sure, yeah. So Oliver's, we start, you know, this, this business started, like you mentioned, with the Kickstarter campaign about seven years ago. Um, it was really a, uh, the founding was really like um, an interesting intersection of my personal values and where I thought there was an opportunity. So, so it was really, um, you know, going into building the business was really thinking about this like a, a long-term journey. It wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't a get, get rich quick scheme. It wasn't, um, it, it wasn't merely a place where I, I saw there was an opportunity. It, it, it was, it was an opportunity for something to, for me to build something that I thought could be a, something that I could build for the rest of my life. And so, you know, and I really viewed the opportunity like that and, and was looking for something where I could commit, you know, a couple decades of time. Um, 
so happened to happen to kind of stumble upon that in, in, in a in a roundabout way and and, and and once i did you know once i kind of landed on the idea and the concept behind oliver's really excited kind of dove in head first um like a lot of entrepreneurs do and and just tried to figure things out and and launched initially with a kickstarter campaign um now mind you didn't have any apparel or e-com founder experience before launching oliver's so was really in over my head from the beginning, um, and, and 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 was up for that challenge. It felt like I had the um, kind of capacity to do it, and, and was excited, and was all in, and, and and really was on board with the long term vision of what we were building. Um, now, after that initial Kickstarter launch, like you mentioned, we happened to have a lot of early success. It was kind of like beyond my wildest dreams. Launches campaign, um, you know, in many ways didn't know what we were doing, and then had this big big pop um how big was that launch, pop? how big so was the pop the yeah so the campaign did about 275k um which i know you know which seven years ago for a apparel campaign on kickstarter was you know like you mentioned at the time was one of the five most successful campaigns in kickstarter history now you know so here we are we have this huge success i'm you know i'm, I'm on this high couldn't can't believe this and trying to wrap my head around just you know what the challenge now ahead of me is because i was thinking you know if we hit 10k i'd be happy at the time um so hit this number and then about a week before the end of the campaign a few guys who had brought in to help with the project um essentially tried to extort myself and the business um so without going too deep into the details of that you know that the legal challenge is something that a lot of people face and in one way or the other and when that hit me, it, you know, it was such a it was such a low coming off of the high of just like just what had just happened previously, um, and coming off of the kind of challenge that was ahead of me. I, I really at the time questioned whether I wanted to go through with this. I, I really seriously questioned um, for a few days there whether I was up for the challenge of of not only trying to get this business off the ground, but dealing with the legal challenge and everything else that that kind of presented. Um, Ultimately decided that you know I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let this challenge and these guys derail kind of something I believe in and and ultimately just made the decision that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna persist no matter what and I'm gonna take you know kind of ride this thing out no matter what um, and you know it took about a year to get through the legal challenge and you know till this day still obviously tons of parts of the business can continue to be a challenge but I'd say like. You know, ultimately, that kind of was a crossroads, and and really, I I made the decision more than anything that um, we were going to stick it out, and and I was going to stick it out, and and not give up, kind of, um, no matter what happened. And I think that that decision, um, I would say, is kind of you know carries through to this day in many ways. Like there's a level of persistence that um, that I think I have, and and try and make sure the business has, um, and, and very much of the belief that like. If you're willing to keep going, you can overcome anything. Um, and like having the le you know having a level of persistence um, is in many ways the most important thing because if you have that, um, you know if you're not willing to give up, then you'll find a solution. As, you know eventually. Um, yeah. So yeah. I wow. So, so a lot of early lessons there um, mm. coming through. You know, like and, and not not least the the typical entrepreneur lesson of of a high immediately being fooled by a 
dick punch, right? Like, you know, it's it, you know, the, the, the wildest, wildest dreams, you know, targeting the 10 grand, but hitting the 270 plus um, level is, is amazing, particularly when on Kickstarter, you know, you're selling, you're selling an idea. Right, like mm-hmm. the, the, there might be early prototypes, but essentially it's selling it's selling an unfinished thing that and seeing yeah. hey, who else believes in it? So, what was it about the Kickstarter campaign and your concept, what you were what you were selling, and how you're positioning all of us um, that that really resonated with with the those early backers? Yeah, and you know, I think it was a really authentic, general, and kind of um, focused story. So, you know, you know, the concept was um, men's activewear, but really high quality attention to detail kind of a a craftsman focused story as opposed to call it a um a performance focused story um and one that was very specifically catered to um to a demo which was kind of like the high-end men's demo um which i think that story hadn't really been told to the men's demo before you know the way we like to think about it, it was kind of like the farm to table food story but told in this specific activewear segment of the men's market so um, you know, and, the, and we really did did put a lot of heart and soul, and I think put a good story together um, on you know on, on Kickstarter via the video. And I think that that story combined with I think people recognizing that oh yeah, there actually is this opportunity, and this is a segment of the market that um, that has been ignored, and, and and maybe I'm even in that segment of the market. Um, so I think there was a realization of like yeah, this is an opportunity, and. Um, and then I think people, you know, I think the the story we were able to kind of tug at tug at people's heartstrings a little bit, tell tell an authentic personal story, um, and I think that was uh, those were kind of the two main factors. Amazing, and and yes, yeah, certainly, you know, just obviously we're fast forwarding a number of years, but yeah, that 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 segment, the kind of the the uh, the athlete, do you say athletic wear or active wear mm. that isn't branded isn't is it isn't mm-hmm. like you know you where you're wearing massive logos mm-hmm. over it doesn't look like sportswear it just it's something that you can be active in but at the same time maintain some level of, of of style i think you guys have absolutely nailed it mm-hmm. um like 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 massive congrats man massive congrats um yeah, thank you. so so you had this launch Mm. And 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 obviously you had the the legal issues, but you also had a um, a shit ton of people that you now need to make some clothes for. What mm. did the next stage of the journey, like the fulfilling of those orders, um, mm. look like? And how steep was that learning curve for David, the the fresh entrepreneur that didn't yet know much about e-commerce and and um, and and apparel? Mm. Yeah, it was quite steep. So, so we had had, um, you know, we'd placed a pre-order with the fabric mill that we were going to work with to produce the product. And, you know, the order and then the amount of orders we ended up receiving on Kickstarter kind of far exceeded that. So we had to go back to them, place an additional order. Um, given the kind of volume increase that we experienced over what we were projecting, we ended up essentially being late on our delivery. Then I would say that was definitely an early lesson. Like, in terms of like, I would say being cautious on what you're promising your customer in terms of delivery date, particularly to the Kickstarter community. And I think, you know, I think the benefit of that community was people, um, I think if we would have pushed our kind of expected delivery date back and, you know, initially, even before launching people, I don't think that would have um, affected people's buying decisions. People are buying, understanding there's going to be a a delay there. Um, Mm. And we ended up having to kind of like communicate the process communicate the delays in kind of mid mid process so to speak mid um 
production process, which ended up, which, which was a mistake and a challenge. Um, ultimately, not not a not not a challenge that, that killed us, or you know, and luckily the Kickstarter community understood. But um, I would say, like in hindsight, we should have been um, kind of extra conservative in what we were promising as, as in terms of delivery dates. Yeah, but it, you know, all parts of the product making a physical product process were a challenge for sure. And I think anyone who makes physical product, like in in whatever the realm is, like my hats off to you because I know um, it's just it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to make physical product, especially um, there's something I think gratifying about it, but it, mm. it, it's challenging in a way that um, I think people in the tech world don't have a full appreciation for. Yeah, when you when you're selling pixels, it's a little bit different to selling um, selling a physical product. So I've been in both spaces. I have companies in both spaces. Um, you know, there's no disrespect to the pixel sellers, um, oh. but uh, but yeah, certainly with with physical products, there's there's things that can go wrong. I've even heard stories of physical products. So well, um, uh, I remember an interview with Moise Ali, the the founder of Native Deodorant. Telling mm. telling us on air that um, they did like a I think it was a 250k order. They had all of this this natural deodorant um, en route, and it was a hot day, and the whole batch melted en oh, route wow. to the to yeah. the to the factory. Right, it was unsellable because coconut oil was the main sort of ingredient, and it it melted. Right, like you just mm -hmm. don't. How do you plan for that? You know, pixels mm -hmm. pixels don't melt. But mm -hmm. you obviously the challenge the challenge was so satisfying because it was so so tough. You obviously got to the mm. point where you completed that th those orders um mm. where do you go from then is it, it with a kickstarter campaign a successful kickstarter campaign where you then fulfill it are you left with enough money and goodwill customers to resell to that that's that's the launch pad you need or how how do you sit right after that st that stage yeah so we had some excess inventory and we were able to kind of produce extra shorts from that initial run. Um, and, um, you know, we didn't have much excess capital. Um, we, you know, any capital I would say was used dealing with the legal, the legal challenge we had, um, outside of the inventory. So we had some extra inventory, any extra cash we had from there had to kind of deal with the legal issue. Um, I then put some of my, most of my savings into the business. Um, and, yeah, fortunately, you know, back to part of your question, we did have, you know, we had, I think it was 5,000 orders from that initial, that initial Kickstarter campaign. So we had a, you know, kind of call it a loyal 5,000 person customer base to start, which is, which is just um, something, you know, incredibly fortunate that, that most people don't, don't have to start with. So we had that initial customer base, um, which essentially we were able to like sell more shorts to and, and kind of refine the product and, you know, build the site and, you know, get the business just up and running. Um, really, it was just the shorts for the first kind of year and a half of the business while we were dealing with, like I said, dealing with a legal challenge, dealing with the challenge of just getting the business up and running. Um, but fortunately, we had some excess inventory and we had that 5,000 person customer base. We were able to kind of just focus on selling some more of the shorts while we slowly built out like the future product roadmap. Nice. And so did you, where was your pivot to? What platform were you, did you move to selling on once the Kickstarter bit was over? Or did you do another campaign? Mm, yeah, no, we actually, um, so we did both. We launched, you know, we, we built a site and got on, you know, we're on Shopify as most kind of e-commerce folks are. And, um, and then actually built a second, um, a second Kickstarter campaign about a year and a half later. Um, with a product, and actually, that was that campaign was successful as well. Not nearly as successful as the shorts one, but it was successful as well. And actually, that product's been discontinued. We're no longer offering it. 
Um, but so kind of got a second campaign ready, built, had the site up and running and kind of built a future product roadmap. Um, but, but slowly, pretty slowly and methodically um, rolled out products and, and which we've continued to do this to this day. We're very like um, very methodical about our product releases. So, so had a long-term plan to roll out these products and, and, and executed on that, but in a, I would say a relatively methodical, um, relatively methodical way. Nice. And so yeah. fast, um, fast forwarding today, and we'll, we'll rewind it. We'll fast, we'll, we'll, we'll duck back and forth, David, but, um, briefly, um, coming up to, to present time, you're, you're just under that eight figure level. What does your team look like, um, right now in, in the business? Mm, so we have, um, let's see, in-house we have, uh, we have a, someone kind of managing production. Um, we have an art director, um, digital marketing, someone who kind of oversees digital marketing, um, another, call it brand marketing focused person, um, someone who manages customer service and kind of warehouse operations. Um, we have a product designer. Um, and then on the, call it freelance outsource agency level, we have uh, an agency that manages kind of web development, UX, UI, um, an agency that manages our paid social ad spend, um, graphic designer, um, and then things like warehousing and fulfillment, that's all done um, with via 3PL. So that's not, um, that's all, call it outsource. Same with production. Um, nice. So those, you know, obviously big facets of the business are, are done with, um, with partners, not, not internal employees. And so um, you've been featured in some pretty big publications. GQ is certainly, you know, looking at, looking at the list. For me, GQ is the one that, that, um, that I know most, but, you know, Los Angeles Times, um, Outside Magazine. And uh, you said before, before we went on air, you were like, I could provide you with a list if you want, which suggested there's quite a few. Um, how, how did did that happen? Because I noticed you didn't say publicist or PR or anyone there. How did you get such um, such great um, PR um, opportunities? Yeah, so I'd say we spent a lot of time um, kind of man, you know, massaging those relationships and building those relationships internally over time. You know, I think um, when we launched, that was an important component that 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 I was involved with, and and, and we always managed, not always, but but for a long time managed internally, um, have worked with, with different PR agencies in the past, actually a few different agencies. None of them have been great experiences, but, um, with a lot of these publications, we, you know, we have built relationships over time, um, kind of individual, individual relationships, I think, which I think have paid off. Um, yeah. So that was a component that we decided early on was going to be, um, an area of focus and, and we were going to build those relationships kind of in an authentic, authentic, um, internal manner and, and, and try and, and own those relationships with with those outlets so being more specific how do you go about um establishing and nurturing those kind of relationships like like in terms of step by step what what does that actually look like um for, for you like how you did it yeah um let's see um well, i mean there's a few components of it but, but partially it's just building a relationship like you would with anyone um you know, it, it's like a sale, like, you know, it's like any kind of long-term sale that you're trying to make. Um, so it's outreach, it's persistence. You know, in the early days, we did some, um, we did some small, actually like dinners that we had hosted um, with some of the contacts at these different outlets. 
Um, so I would say we, we treated the relationships like they were long-term relationships and not like they were transactional relationships. And that was from the beginning. So um, sent things without asking for anything in return, um, hosted some small gatherings um, and yeah, and, and, and developed the relationship as if, as if they were going to be long-term relationships. I would say it's kind of a, the simplest way I could describe it. Um, outreach, um, getting together in person, making personal connections um yeah. more so than kind of asking for anything we, we we took the approach of like kind of give 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 um and, and, and only ask every once in a while um that, and that, that's really um, cool and i think that paid off yeah and, and so you were finding individual journalists so you were finding articles that you felt were were aligned with what you're saying and reaching out to the journalists in, like the, the journalists at gq for example the editor exactly. at gq Nice. Exactly. Nice. So mm. at, what, at this stage, again, so keeping, keeping it current, at this stage, um, what would you say the, the kind of split is in terms of um, uh, organic versus various other different um, traffic channels that, you, that you're seeing? And are you entirely online? I saw that you had a, um, uh, what's the word? It's a pop-up. What's, um, what's the closed name for, for when you're in a store? Ah, like a shop, shop or a pop-up? Pop, a pop-up, yeah, pop-up. I see that okay. you've, you've, you've got some, some um, pop-ups. Um, yeah. So I guess the first question is, what percentage is online versus offline? And then um, in terms of the online, because we're definitely more in, uh, interested in the digital side of things on, on this show, what kind of split, like the sales, what, what are you finding are the, are the best uh, sales channels for you at the moment? Traffic channels. Yeah, sure. So. Um, Answer your first question. It's almost all online. Ninety-nine percent of the business is online. Um, the offline business, like you said, we you know we're in a couple couple pop-ups currently. Um, we've been in some tested some other pop-ups in the past. Some managed by us. Some managed by third-party groups. Um, but that's a very small like, you know, pop-ups and cut off. Call it wholesale are like one percent of the business. Um, in terms of your second question. Um, well, our split currently is about 60% organic, 40% paid. Wow. So we have a lot of our businesses done organically, and that's you know existing customers that we're marketing to via email or they're just coming back on their own, um, organic social. Um, so about 60% is, yeah, is organic existing repeat customers. About 40% is paid. Of the paid, um, like most people, um, the Facebook and Instagram platforms are biggest channel. Um, followed by affiliate. Affiliate would be like our second biggest, call it paid channel. Um, Google, kind of the Google platform would fall after that. And then you have, um, you know, a variety of kind of smaller, um, smaller one-off channels after that. But those would be the three biggest in order. The Facebook, Facebook, Instagram one, affiliate two, Google three on the paid kind of new customer acquisition side. Sure. Nice. And so when you say affiliate, do you mean like, uh, like influencer affiliates sent product to someone with an audience or do you mean affiliate like affiliate um, affiliate networks paying on a CPA type basis? Uh, I would say both fall into that for us when I'm categorizing affiliate. I actually mean both. Both. Wicked. Mm. Wow. Um, and so do you mind? Um, I'm, I'm curious. So it certainly seems sunshine and rainbows and, and a fairy tale, you know, Wanted to open a clothes brand, raised a quarter of a million. Now we're at eight figures. Happy days. There must have been some some challenges later on, some growing pains, if you will. Is there any 
that spring to mind that you'd be willing to talk about with us today? Mm, sure. Um, well, every, I would say everything, you know, everything has <laughs> been a challenge along the way. You know, I, I don't want to, if, if, if I painted it in any other way, I, I assure you um, that's not the case. Um, I would say, let's see, a couple. So we moved the, you know, the business not only launched in San Francisco, it, it actually launched in San Francisco. So it launched on okay. a, as a Kickstarter campaign, but it was in San Francisco to start. So we moved the business down to LA after about two years. So that was a big challenge. Um, you know, kind of a big, just organizational operational challenge to move physically, um, you know, move from one city to another. Um, I'd say like, you know, the other ongoing challenge has just been, you know, I, I mentioned making physical product and that's just been an ongoing challenge. Um, as we've, as the product line has expanded, as kind of our demands for quality have gone up, that's just been an ongoing challenge. So we've had to move factories a number of times. Um, and that um, I feel like is, is we're only just now getting to the place where we're really like confident and comfortable in like the consistency and quality of product coming out um each season um and that's so that's how he would say it's been like an ongoing challenge both in terms of like quality consistency capacity um finding partners on the manufacturing side has really been um has really been a an ongoing challenge and do you have any specific examples like the the native deodorant melting examples any mm -hmm. kind of i think i think there's a lot of um a lot of stuff out there focuses on the on the good and i, I don't think there's a lot of learnings necessarily from from the from the highs but there's a lot of learnings from mm -hmm. the from the from the challenge the overcome challenges is there anything mm -hmm. that springs to mind that you'd be willing to share with us on that front yeah um let's see um thinking um well this season for example we had to we, I, I, yeah actually i have i have a recent example that's a good one for you so this season Sweet. you know in the middle of kind of covid we've had challenges like everyone has um we one of our partner factories essentially um when we, right when we were about to start production for which we would paid a, a deposit on the order already they basically told us um they weren't willing to pay um for the fabric, which as part of our agreement, I'll take a step back, the way we work with our factories is we pay them a deposit. They then buy the fabric on our behalf. It's the, it's the fabric that we've nominated from the mills we've nominated. Um, but a factory we were working with basically, our manufacturing partner we were working with basically said they didn't have the finances to pay for the fabric. This was right when production was about to start. Mm. Um, and so we essentially scrambled, had to kind of, find another manufacturing partner like in in 48 hours now luckily we had a, a number of relationships and, and, and that we, we could go to but had to scramble um and then essentially like had to get fabric and trims out of the old factory to the new factory agree to a deal with the new factory um and like yeah anyways so kind of on short order had to had to back out of an existing order move move the order to a new place um and have and maintain a, a workable relationship with the old factory such that they wouldn't do anything, uh, they wouldn't do anything harmful to our product and goods that were at their factory at the time. Wow, that's a, a, one heck of a bullet that's been dodged there. Um, and, yeah. and in terms of growth, so um, one of the things that uh, I, I think is so, is so valuable um, on any podcast is learnings or discoveries that um, that you've you've had or made that have 
move the needle quite considerably. Maybe maybe some some kind of element that you you introduced um, or, or or some kind of tweak or change that you made that that other e-commerce businesses could potentially apply to to see similar kind of needle moving results. You know what's interesting about our business is we've very much been. Um, uh, our growth has been very steady um, and it's been very, you know, I mentioned that organic is a big part of our business. It's been very, it's been steady growth and it's been, um, we're essentially a friends and family funded business, haven't taken on any institutional capital. Um, so our growth trajectory has been, um, hasn't been any huge spikes. It's been pretty like slow and steady, um, which I think was, was deliberate. Um, uh, I will say to kind of answer your question a little bit more directly, um, having a hero product has helped in a lot of ways. Um, so we launched with the Oliver Short, which was really our hero product for call it the first three or four years of the business. And then about two and a half, three years ago, a second product kind of took off on its own. I think partially due to the product um, being liked and partially due to just kind of market conditions. And that was the Passage Pant, which is a five pocket pant. Um, with stretch and you know, kind of your 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 travel active lifestyle pant. Um, now having the Oliver Short for the first three or four years of business and the Passage Pant for the last three or four years, the kind of focus on having a real product, um, I would say, has helped a lot. It's really helpful to kind of like be able to tell a brand story, but it's also be helpful to have like a hero product that you can lead in your marketing efforts with. Um, so I would say, you know, and and, and kind of back to your back to your original question, I would say like having, getting one product right, and, and whether you can do that by design or by chance, I would say um, from a marketing growth perspective is really, really helpful. Um, and I would recommend anyone, you know, particularly in my space, but any other space as well, like, I think you need to have one product that's, um, that's compelling, and you kind of need to earn the right to, to, to start making the next products. Um, and I think that that one product can also you know, using that as a lead in for your marketing efforts, um, I think has proven helpful for us. And I would recommend it to anyone else looking to do something similar. Nice. I like that. And, and, and that halo effect from that, that, that hero product as well will help choose the next product, the, the, the next thing, you know, the, the people going, wow, this is cool. What else you got? You're going to see them naturally gravitate to the, the next hero product that you can, you can get, get behind. So just before we segue into the rapid fire question segment, David, um, where can people find out more about Oliver's and fill their basket right up with lots of awesome clothing? Oh, sure. Yeah. So the best place would be oliversapparel.com. That's the website. Like I said, that's where you can find everything. And that's where the majority of our business happens. So um, yeah, oliversapparel.com. You can find, find all the products a little bit more on the backstory and, um, learn a little bit more about the fabrics we use, where they come from, um, the technology behind those. Um, yeah, so everything's happening over there at oliversapparel.com. Nice, and you ship worldwide? We ship worldwide, yeah. I mean, not to, obviously there, there's a number of countries we don't ship to, but we yeah. do ship internationally um, to a number of countries. 
Nice. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something like 240 odd countries, which um, our local uh, courier, like Royal Mail, local, I'm like describing it as like small, will we'll ship to it. <laughs> but I think there's something like, uh, there's a lot more countries. Yeah. You don't yeah, ship right. to the villages in Afghanistan currently or, or whatever. That's right. I, I, I that's get right. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All good. All right. So, David, at this point in the interview, and you're doing great so far. At this point in the interview, we, we mix it up, we change the pace a little bit, and we go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can take as long as you want. And full disclosure for the audience, David has not seen the questions um, or indeed um, <laughs> had any kind of heads up. So um, it's spontaneous and fun. Are you up for it, David? I'm up for it. Are you two thumbs up? Up for it. There they are. All right, let's go into it. Question number one. What superhero would you be and why? Uh, Superman. Always wanted to be able to fly. That was always... Uh... That, that that always seemed like the coolest superpower to have. Nice flight. He's got a few others as well, but but the flight one, that's the mm -hmm. that's the, the the cherry there on the on the cake or yeah. the cake. And the rest of it. yeah, I get it. I get it. Super <laughs> man. What's one thing that people often incorrectly assume about you? Hmm. Uh, one thing that people often incorrectly assume about me. Um, hmm, that's a tough one. Hang on. Um, well, I think back to the business thing. I think I think the people incorrectly assume that um, that it's been an easy, rosy path based on maybe the site looking good, call it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't see the struggles. How old are you, David, right. of interest? 37. 37. So it's, it's, it's consumed your 30s, um, Oliver's. Yeah. And who, who is Oliver, of interest? So Oliver, it doesn't, there's actually not one person in particular that, that, that stands for it. That's actually phonetically all over. So it was kind of like the concept of a guy's name that could be anyone, but... Um, wasn't anyone in particular, but it, phonetically, it's all over. So that was uh, all over. That was kind of the tie-in with the with the product name. Nice. And our first product was the all over short. The all over short. All over short. Question three. We segued um, briefly there, but we're we're back on track, folks. Um, yeah. What is what is the most pointless subject taught at schools, and what would you replace it with? Oh wow, so many. <laughs> so many are pointless. I think I'm trying to think of the ones that have a, that have a good point. Um, I think, um, God, I, I think there's so many that are pointless. I, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would replace them with, um, I would replace most of the things taught at school um, with uh, sales, negotiation, psychology, um, Call it basic marketing skills, uh, public speaking skills. Um, definitely, like I think you still need some basic kind of finance and accounting. Um, and you know, I think you still need like kind of U.S. world history, U.S. and world history related stuff. Um, talking about U.S. in particular, but yeah, I think sales and negotiation. I think marketing, um, psychology. Um, philosophy i think those i think learning the skills kind of you, you need to sit to sell to sell yourself and to sell a product to market um and then to think um 
to think about a problem critically um, from a lot of different angles. I think those are the skills that are really um, that from from my observation are kind of lost in, in in higher education these days. Nice, I like that. Sorry, that wasn't a rapid fire. That wasn't a rapid fire answer. My apology. Oh, don't you you can you can take as long as you want. I, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed the answer, and actually, I was nodding along and thinking, yeah, that's that's that would get you in a way better um, position to tackle life and everything it throws at you than. Um, cookery class no cookery is cookery is important i don't know we've had a bunch which people are like fuck chemistry what the fuck's what's you know if you if you're not if you're not becoming a chemist chemistry is largely unimportant but you know it also yeah. angers people when you say that it <laughs> angers the chemists and the audience i'm kidding <laughs> question four what's one random act of kindness you've either witnessed or done yourself so i'll tell you something that's current and that, that that's going on and that i'm observing my sister um has a band and they are currently doing a, um, a virtual concert series where all the proceeds of the concert are going to um, small local small businesses that are that have been shut down during COVID. Nice. Um, so yeah, give a, give a shout out to my sister, something that's going on currently that I'm witnessing. I think it's a, it's a really neat thing she's doing. What's her band? Lucius, it's called. Lucius. L-U-C-I-U-S. Yeah. L L O C I U S L U C L U C I U S. Nice. Look them up, folks. Yeah. What What unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? Okay. Well, I eat, so I eat pretty. Like, I eat pretty protein heavy. So I eat a lot of meat, eggs. You know, I'm not a full. I'm not fully on the carnivore diet, but I try and eat along those lines. Um. On the sushi end, I happen to love uni. And uni is like a, is sea urchin. And I think most people have like an aversion to that. And I think that's like the most delicious thing ever. So I'd say give wow. it a shot. Uni. Um, next time you're at sushi, give it a shot. Nice. And, and is there a particular way to, to eat uni? I've, I've never tried uni and I'm a foodie. Is it, is it like an oyster? Is it more akin to an oyster or more akin to a scallop? Um, how's it, how do you eat it? How's it come? Yeah, it's served like, um, like, Sushi would be served typically like on top of rice. It's actually wrapped. It's typically wrapped in a little bit of seaweed and served on top of rice. So kind of like a piece of sushi, but wrapped in seaweed around. Okay, nice. I'm going to definitely check that out, Uni. Yeah. I love that question. We can find out so many amazing mm. things. What's one mistake you made in your life and what did you learn from it? Okay, so I think I didn't... Um, so when I didn't, after school, I, I would say I didn't leave in New York for a couple of years. And in hindsight, I wish I lived in New York for a couple of years. Um, I think, and I think the lesson is that there is like, there's things that um, you're well suited to do when you're younger, even if they're an inconvenience and um, you regret the things you didn't do more than the things that you did do kind of thing. Um, so even though I would say I knew I didn't want to live in New York long-term, the fact that I um, passed on an opportunity um, of something I wanted to do at, at, at the time, but I thought it would be a good opportunity at the time because it seemed like an inconvenience um, is something I regret. I'd say um, keep in mind you regret the things that you don't do a lot more than the things you do do. Absolutely. What does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like and at what time does it typically start? Hmm. Um, so I typically get up at around, let's say most days I get up, I get up between 5.30 and 6 most days. Um, and 
I start my day by um, doing a little bit of, call it meditation prayer type activity um, and setting, getting out my notebook and kind of setting my agenda for the day and then making myself a cup of coffee. Nice. I like, like the process of making like a, making a cup of coffee at home. Is that like grinding your own beans or pour over or like how, how do you make your coffee? Yeah, I'll do a, exactly. I'll do like, I have a grind, I have the full kind of grinder set up and you know, there's something really kind of common about the whole process and, and enjoyable mm. about it. So I have the grinder. Um, sometimes I'll do a pour over, but I'll also do French press sometimes as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of the third component of the day. Actually, I'm often doing that while I'm kind of like making my list of stuff I'm doing for the day. Nice. I, I like the, the 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 coffee making process. I like you do grind my own beans, get some like organic Latin American beans, love them, um, and it'll either be French press or, or pour over. But there's something quite mm. um, meditative, I think, about um, you have to slow down, you have to do it. It's a process, particularly with the pour over. If you've got the proper like pour over kettle, the water comes out very very slow and linear linearly, and you you are mm -hmm. forced. It's it's really yeah. So it's, it's I don't know what it is. It's mystical, mm. but uh, I'm right with yeah. you there, man. It's common. Where do you go, or what do you do to get inspired? Mm, go to nature. Um, that's a go outside, just in general. Um, that'd be either camping, um, riding my bike. I'm I'm into road biking. Um, so I'd say camping, riding my bike, um, doing anything in nature. I would say is where I go to kind of clear my head and get inspired both nice mm. who do you idolize above anyone else and why oh wow um i don't know that i idolize anyone i mean there's a lot of people i look up to um and i think there's a lot of people i look up to no one that i idolize the people that i look up to tend to be the people that have taken on the most amount of responsibility in their lives, if that makes sense. So people that have mm -hmm. taken on as much as they think they can bear and then maybe push a little bit beyond that. Those are the people that I really, um, you got really any admire. names that we might know? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know about public figures. Um, I don't know that people stand out in the public realm. Um, I'd say someone who I've learned from a lot is, is Jordan Peterson, um, Canadian um, psychology professor, um, entrepreneur. He's a guy I really look up to. And then, and then in my personal life, um, there's a number of people. I mean, you know, I put my father in that category, um, some other friends. Um, so really the people that have, um, you know, and, and, and these aren't necessarily people that have like, call it, um, achieve success on a huge scale, call it on a material level scale, but it's people that have taken on as much as they can, as much as they can, and then keep pushing themselves beyond that. Those are the people that I really look up to, look up to and admire. Nice. Mm. What book or books do you read or gift the most? Mm. Um, I just mentioned Jordan Peterson. His book, 12 Rules for Life, is, is high on that list for me. Um, there's another book that I, um, there's actually two other things that I often get. One is a book, um, it's called Rules for My Unborn Son. It's kind of like a coffee table book, but it's got a lot of little like um, kind of anecdotes um, yeah. that are like kind of timeless anecdotes mixed with a little bit of humor. Um, 
And then I often gift these, I have these uh, critical thinking cards at home um, and they kind of like, they're focused on cognitive biases and logical fallacies um, and really, really cool and interesting. And I often gift those and, and they're really, they're, they're kind of cards that I use a lot to look at as well. Um, but they're um, kind of helpful. It's logical fallacies and really like improving your quality of thinking. So these critical thinking cards, do they have a name? Like, is that something that I can get on Amazon or um, what are they? Yeah, I'm trying to think the name of them. Um, they're called, um, you can definitely pick them up. Um, I'm looking it up right now. If you go to um, yourlogicalfallacyis.com, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a site where they sell what's called critical thinking cards. You can't miss it right at the top of the page. Um, highly nice. recommend these. Damn, that's that's cool, and I'm, I love that you've um you've gone. It's not a book, but this is fucking valuable. You need to hear this because mm-hmm. you're right. What silly thing should people do more of? Um, silly thing that people should do more often. Um, hmm. Yeah. I think play with, uh, spend time with animals, um, and I think spend time with little kids and and the elderly. And I don't know if that silly is the right word to to describe that, but I think um, there's something joyful about that, and and it tends to be overlooked. I think in particular the elderly component. I think people, I think we've lost a little bit of like call it proper admiration for the for the elderly in our society and i think that not only they have a lot to learn my experience they have a lot to learn from them but they, they tend to have um uh yeah they tend to have i think people that have aged gracefully tend to have like a a light touch to them that that, that makes them really enjoyable company mm. yeah i agree that's a great answer mm. if you could change one world problem with one wish what would it be mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess peace in the Middle East. I um. Yeah, I got family in Israel, and my my mother grew up there, so that's that's hits close to my hits close to the hits close to home, close to my heart. So I'd say peace, peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East. Nice. Would you rather always be ten minutes late or always be twenty minutes early? Oh, that's easy. Twenty minutes early. Yeah, why? Um, I think being late is, a, is, is disrespectful to the other person um, in a way that a lot of people that are consistently late maybe fully don't grasp. Um, so, I, um, yeah, punctuality is definitely something that, that I value. Um, and I think it's a, uh, it's a sign of respect for your, um, for your guest. I agree. Would you rather move to a new city or town every week or never be able to leave the city or town you were born in? Uh, oh, geez. Never be able to leave the city or town you were born in? Mm-hmm. Or never be able to move? You say, um, like, never travel? Or? So I've got leave. Uh, like, l- leave. Lockdown, baby. Like, um, um, well, I well think the other that, one is I... every week is the other one. Think about that. Yeah. Um, geez, I, I don't know. I think that, I guess that depends. Um, 
I mean, I guess for me, given I was, I'm from a city that's big enough that like you can kind of figure out, you know, there's a lot of different parts of that city or town you could live in. I guess I'd pick day just because I don't know that moving every week is, I don't know how you can make friends doing that. I don't know that you'd ever have any friends or I don't, I don't know that that's feasible, but, but obviously if I didn't grow up in LA or a city like LA, which kind of has that amount of variety, I I'd probably, I don't know that I'd pick the same answer. It's, say, a, it's a shitty question. There's a, it's, yeah, it's a I'll lesser of. I'll give a politically correct answer, which is give, given my circumstances, I would, I would say stay. <laughs> but for a lot of other circumstances, I would say leave. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> such, such a well thought out uh, answer, <laughs> David for president. And then the final question: What makes you happiest? Um, <clears throat> I think working on. Uh, working on a meaningful problem or a challenge. Um, so I'd say that gives me the most amount of meaning, working on something that is meaningful, that's challenging. Um, yeah, I'd say that. And then, and then, and then good conversations with, with good friends. They, um, those are the two things. Love it. Well, David, that pretty much brings us to the end uh, of the interview. You were absolutely phenomenal. Just before um, we hit the closing, have you got any asks or requests of the audience listening today? Um, no, I don't have anything. I'd say, um, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Or to advice, add. or any advice, perhaps. Um, yeah, well, I think maybe back to back to what we were discussing earlier. I'd say if anyone's thinking of doing something. Um, I'd say, I guess just you regret the things that you don't do more than the things you do do. And, um, and think about a big challenge you can take on and, um, and start small, take it on and, and start small. Nice. Love that. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today to, to, um, f- to to paint the the word picture of of the of the beginnings the, the tremendous launch followed by the dick punch followed by the 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 steady growth and the and um the, particularly the 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 piece about the maintaining a long term relationship with the with the journalists and the publicists and and the way you've approached your company you've got an amazing brand oliversapparel.com folks check it out um, but David, thank you so much once again for just being so humble and so, um, so sharing today with us. Martin, thanks a lot. I hope, uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed and thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.